You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Thanks, Carl. Hi, and welcome to episode 58 of the Library Pros Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Bob. And greetings from the Sachem Public Library's Booth Studio in Holbrook, New York. The Library Pros Podcast is a bi-monthly podcast, so don't forget to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find podcasts. Remember to join our email subscription service on our webpage, thelibrarypros.com, and please consider leaving a review or tell a friend or colleague about us. And please check us out on Twitter, at The Library Pros, and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The Library Pros. Did you just say forward slash? I did say forward slash. Well, I, I had to make up for the scratching that they heard 10 seconds ago from whatever you moved in at the least, booth. At least you didn't say www. I didn't say http colon forward slash forward slash. So you said forward slash again. <laughs> So today joining us via Google Hangouts is Leah Hamilton. Leah is the Executive Director and STEAM Educator at the Phelps Library in Phelps, New York, and is the past president of the New York Library Association's Makerspace Roundtable. In October of 2013, Leah was honored as Director of the Year by the Pioneer Library System, and in 2017, she was a recipient of the statewide, is it Mosher Wincoop? That sounds right. All right. Award for Distinguished Librarianship by the Public Library Section of the New York Library Association. Leah is ex- so extremely passionate about STEAM <laughs> in libraries. She, she no, it, it's very hard to go to Nyla and not see like her be like the, the, the leader in STEAM in, in, the, in the state when it comes to libraries. And she's doing some great stuff at, with STEAM in her library, obviously. So thanks for coming and joining with us today. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk to uh, Leah about the Phelps Library, the STEAM initiative, and her efforts to teach advanced manufacturing and technical skills to children and teens. But first, let's chat with Leah and get to know more about her. So Leah, are you a native to the Finger Lakes region of New York? I am, Bob, but I didn't really appreciate it until then I was an adult. Um, I grew up in the small town of Lyons, which is only about eight miles away from Phelps. Um, Back then, I couldn't wait to leave. I escaped to Canada for a few years when I went to McGill University in Montreal. Um, That's where I immersed myself in their collection of medieval manuscripts in the rare books and special collections department. After graduating, I wrote to places all over the world looking for book conservation opportunities, and the only place that responded was the University of Rochester. So I came back home, and what my 18-year-old self couldn't recognize at the time was that that was the absolute best thing that could have happened. So tell us about your life before Phelps. Where did you start your library career? I started my library career in elementary school when our school librarian asked us to create a book. I guess that was around fourth or fifth grade. She gave us some white construction paper for the pages, two pieces of cardboard for the covers, and wallpaper for the book cloth. The librarian sewed the pages into a text block for us, and we glued on the covers, and then she sent them home with us to complete. So I ended up creating an interactive lift the flap and pop-up book where readers could participate in a hunt for an escape artist dog named Ruff. I cut up a plastic bag. um, That was the shower curtain so you could look for Ruff in the bathtub. There was a lift the flap piece of cloth for the quilt in case Ruff was hiding under the bed. And I'd forgotten about all of that until now. But it actually led me to my first library job in book conservation at the University of Rochester's Department of Rare Books, Special Collections, and Preservation. Um, that's where I was the manager of the book conservation lab and later the collections manager for rare books. 
I curated pop-up books, movable book collection, as well as curating and installing interactive exhibits. I'm still fascinated by paper engineering um, and the paper engineers who designed pop-up books that seem to spring to life before our very eyes. That is so cool. I, I was just looking at the pop-up books on, online. They have an amazing collection there. <clears throat> they really do. It's absolutely cool. I was trying to get some for our library, but uh, I'm still fighting, fighting the waves. Yeah, we we have a pop-up book collection here in Phelps, but it's, you have to use it in-house just because, you know, it, we have to show people how to open the books and close them. Otherwise, things get all crunched inside. That was exactly the response. Yeah, I had shared it in a little group, and they, uh, they said it was very fragile, and I totally agree. So in-house makes the most sense, I guess. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the most important question is, do you still have the pop-up book? <laughs> I was just wondering where that was hiding. I think it's probably somewhere in my parents' house in the attic. I have to dig it out. <laughs> Something to go searching for after the That's podcast. That's right. <laughs> Treasure hunt. So tell us a little bit about the Phelps Library, the town and, and the surrounding area. So uh, it's our vision at the Phelps Library. We want to plant seeds of inspiration, curiosity, and success within our young people through STEAM. So it's all about science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And that's a philosophy that we have throughout the entire library. It's not just a makerspace. Um, coming from academia, I had no idea how to run a public library. And when I started, the Phelps Library had no directorial transition plan in place. Before my arrival, about a year before I came, um, the library suffered a public relations nightmare in a failed 414 vote. And they even told me in my interview that the library was going to survive financially only a few more years. And I told them, absolutely not on my watch. Mm -hmm. So they ended up hiring me. Um, <laughs> but it was the perfect situation because I found myself leading a library that was desperate for thoughtful bridge building between organizations, municipal leaders, most importantly, members of the community. It was the most amazing place to start, rebuilding the library's mission and philosophy from the ground up. It was my chance to listen to what the community wanted and needed, to rebuild morale amongst the staff and the community, and to use all of the creative and hands-on skills I'd been collecting my whole life to make this library viable again. So we have a small town. Um, we're chartered to serve about 7,100 people. And then we've got a village inside of the larger town where we have about 1,900 residents. So we're in a converted one-story school. Uh, that library is buried in a municipal building with a bunch of other organizations and businesses. So this has its perks and it has its challenges. So it's fantastic because we have a built-in audience for our programs, like our early literacy classes and our STEAM camps, because there's an after-school program and a daycare right in the building. But it's a challenge because we don't have a standalone library sign out in the front yard. You kind of have to know that there's a library there in the building in order um, to, to reach people. And if they aren't aware of us, then how do you promote the library outside of the walls? Um, we try to do it in as many ways as we can, but still it's difficult to reach the people who live a block and a half away. Um, the building itself is also challenging. We have about 4,600 square feet, but it's five linear classrooms. So it's really long and narrow. Um, we've maximized the space as much as we can. Um, and staff, I'm the only full-time employee. I have four part-time staff members, and we all wear a variety of different hats. So my STEAM educator is also an IT person. Um, we have a library research specialist who's also the bookkeeper, um, and then a children's curriculum specialist and customer service specialist. 
So you may notice that these job titles are a little different than what is expected. Um, we've changed all the job titles to align them to the library's art education philosophy, which was inspired by Valerie Gross's work. So we tend to do a lot with a little. Um, with such a small staff, we're able to offer about 3,000 hands-on programs each year. Um, we've introduced, uh, increased our number of classes and events by about 300%. Um, and our program attendance is up by 200%, and we've doubled our online presence on our website and social media. Um, we've joined organizations that may not be expected that a library would belong to, like the Finger Lakes Manufacturers Enterprise, which is a collection of educators and manufacturers throughout the Finger Lakes region. This is so we can develop healthy and mutually beneficial partnerships with countless individuals, libraries, community organizations, schools, and businesses locally, regionally, statewide, and even nationally. Um, we're grateful for this because we can only be stronger when we work together. Absolutely. Yeah. It, and that's, I think, <laughs> one of the struggles we were talking about before we went on, on air about, you know, making partnerships and getting the word out there. And it's inspirational to hear that, you know, you, like you said, you're buried in a municipal building and yet you still get the people coming out and having 3,000 programs a year. That, that's with the amount of staff that you have. That's really impressive. Those numbers, right. are, those numbers are fantastic. Yeah, we've, we've set up uh, programs that are ready to go, so they don't always require a library staff person to uh, facilitate them. Mm -hmm. Or we have, we have a really strong volunteer base. All of our programs are taught by volunteers or library staff, so that really keeps the programming budget in control. Wow, so you don't pay so much for programming. You just you do it in-house mostly. Not at all. You know, if, wow. if we need to teach some sort of a tech class, I contact the software engineer down the street. Or if I want somebody to teach fiber arts, I have a whole roster of people I can contact. So it's really wonderful how people from the community are giving back to the community through teaching here at the library. That's fantastic. Chris, do you remember which library it was in Suffolk County that said every librarian on staff will do a program? I don't. There was a library, and Ellen, I can't remember. Maybe I'll I'll get it for after the notes. But there was a library in Suffolk County that that basically demanded if you're working here and you're a librarian in a librarian position, you're going to start a program and do programming and teach classes. It makes sense. I mean, it's one of the things that we do now. I mean, you talk about library relevancy. Um, I can't think of something better than bringing whatever you have in your toolbox from when you came from before library land, when you before you became a librarian, and, and use that to your advantage for programming. Yeah, exactly. We all have hobbies, the things that we do outside of the library. We all know somebody who knows how to do things. And it's just having these focused conversations and pulling that out and seeing what people are interested in and are asking for and finding the right person to connect them to that. And that's a challenge in and of itself, too. Mm -hmm. Leah, can I ask a side question? Sure. So how did you find out? I mean, these numbers are fantastic. 3,000 hands-on programming uh, programs each year. Uh, you're up 300%, increased by 200% for program attendance. How did you know what your community wanted or needed? And if we get into this later, I'm sorry, but that's just standing out. No, it's just, it really is paying attention. It's having conversations when I'm at the gas station or at the supermarket or out there in the world. It's paying very close attention to what people are saying and reading between the lines. Um, if they mention that they're having a particular issue in their life, then we'll try to find a solution for them that will connect them to the resources that they need to solve those problems. 
And we do a lot of our programming. It's based on personalized learning concepts. So, you know, tailoring everything towards each person that's attending the class. What a great way to do it. It really is amazing. Um, so before we jump into all that, those crazy things that you're doing over there at Phelps, um, can you give us a flavor for our listeners about what it's like to work in Western New York and not a downstate library? Because we have a okay. lot of, we have a lot of listeners up in Rochester and, and Albany and up in the Adirondacks and, and mm -hmm. one of the things we love to do in this podcast is promote them because when people from outside New York hear the word New York, what do they think of? The Empire State mm -hmm. Building in New York City. Mm -hmm. So one of my one of my goals, along with the hundred other goals I have for this podcast, is to feature libraries that are not downstate um, New York City libraries, but the ones that are like we've spoken Newburgh. Um, we were talking to librarians from Florida. Florida, New York, that is. Um, we've been up to Canton, up in the North Country. Um, we're going to be speaking to, to librarians in Henrietta soon. Uh, so, you know, we like to feature the libraries and, and let people know that it's not that easy to be a rural librarian. Right. Um, it does have its own set of challenges. You know, 20 years ago, when you walked into a library, you knew what you were going to find. You knew what it was going to smell like. You knew what kind of things were going to be on the shelves. And I think now libraries, whether you're rural, suburban, or urban, we all have our own unique personalities. So where our library might be STEAM-based, the one uh, just down the street might be heavy into social activities. Or, you know, we all have our own niche. Um, here in Phelps in particular, uh, the Finger Lakes region is in wine country and we have a growing craft beer and cider industry. So our libraries have wonderful opportunities to partner our programs with these businesses. And we have also have a strong agricultural and manufacturing industry. So this is gonna determine the types of classes and events we offer um, and the partnerships that we nurture. So Phelps is about an hour from a larger city, Rochester being to the west and Syracuse to the east. And we don't have easy access to cultural institutions. As a library here, we often create road trip adventures to get our community outside of its borders. I know people who've never even been out of the county. So we take groups to Raspberry Pi events on university campuses or to the Maker Faire Rochester or take them on tours of manufacturing facilities. So Phelps has a great deal of work to do, like many of our communities, to work towards our digital inclusion. Only 40 to 60% of our homes have some kind of internet access. So we work to provide digital literacy through STEAM and STEM. Um, you may have heard that Phelps was once known as the sauerkraut capital of the world. So <laughs> each year <laughs> we have cabbage themed events at an annual festival. Um, we are chartered to serve 7,100 people as I mentioned, but our library's reach is far greater than that, which we'll get into a bit later. And without getting into politics too deeply, Suffice it to say that our small towns are very conservative and somewhat adverse to change. So as a library, we have challenges when proposing new ideas and concepts, especially when it comes to diversity and inclusion and future ready thinking. So when I first proposed the word makerspace, people had no idea what a makerspace was. So it took a little bit of um, altering how we marketed it. Um, like any library though, growth and evolution is gonna require some strategic communication. Active listening, like we talked about earlier, 
empathy, and truly knowing your audience in order to provide a more personalized learning experience for them. Well, that is amazing. Um, so before we give away too much more, we're going to take a short break <laughs> so we can talk to Leah about her efforts at Phelps Library and the STEAM initiative, uh, along with some of the other great things that you're doing over there too, because it really, really is, it's impressive for the amount of staff that you have, all the, all the uh, officers, officers, good job, Chris, all of the, <laughs> all of the, all of the programming that you offer. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we are back with Leah Hamilton from the Phelps Library in Western New York. Thank you for joining us, Leah. Thank you. So one thing that I had learned when I was introduced to you by our mutual colleague, Nick Tanzi, um, I don't know, do we get paid if we mention Nick, Nick's name? We I don't should. Know. <laughs> well, Ellen Druder retired at 11 bucks, right? So yeah. Nick, he's, you know, he's kind of new to the library pros uh, getting paid for mentioning his name. So maybe a buck, two bucks. Yeah, we'll, we'll never collect unless we take his new Honda <laughs> Civic hostage or something. Yeah. So, and, and now Nick is in charge of MSRT, um, which is a good thing. Um, but we learned, I learned from Nick that you're a welder. Yes, I was a welder. Oh, tell us that story. Okay. So that was a long time ago. Um, as they say, all roads lead to Rome, and I've been collecting experiences my entire life that have shaped my passions and missions today. So here's the story. It turns out that my dad owns a welding and manufacturing shop, and I happen to be an only child. So he put me to work. The first jobs that my dad gave me were the illustrious responsibility of cleaning the company toilets um, <laughs> and sorting nuts and bolts. I later learned to operate large equipment like the lathe, the drill press, the hacksaw, um, and then he taught me how to TIG weld. That's a more detailed form of welding. My favorite job was this piping project at a water and ammonia mixing plant. So I was welding stainless steel pipe 10 feet in the air while hanging upside down from my knees. Um, so working for my dad gave me real insight into the world of manufacturing, the importance of technical skills and running a small business. Okay, Bob, I think she outclassed both of us. <laughs> Well, the welding is great. You know what? I, this is a great, um, a great area that we can talk about because I know how to TIG weld as well. Oh, um, and it's, it's absolutely fantastic. So when 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 Leah talks about stainless and pipe, you don't know how difficult that actually is until you have to do it and then pass a test that says it works. You know, and it's functional. Yeah. yeah. Aluminum. That's fantastic. Oh, aluminum is terrific. Yeah. You know? And it's very pretty <laughs> if you do it right. It's very pretty, but mm -hmm. if you do it wrong, it goes horribly bad. It's like surgery. It, it, it's exactly like surgery. Yeah. I'm speechless. Very cool. Well, it's really neat. You know, and MIG welding is so dirty and TIG welding is so clean and, and it's got to be perfect before you even get started. Right. So. Right. Um, and very detailed. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's interesting for sure. 
So, uh, Chris, we're up to me, I guess, right? Yeah. So how did the concept of the Phelps Library's STEAM initiative get its start? All right. So this is going to be kind of a long story, but like everything, it was an evolution. In 2013, that's also, also the year that I started working in Phelps, we received $10,000 in New York State Bullet Aid. And so we asked ourselves, how can we best serve the community? We wanted to be partners in education with the schools and people couldn't find plumbers or electricians and hand skills were being lost. Everywhere you looked, you just saw people connected to their phones. So two weeks after I was hired, I proposed to my board of trustees that we be an early adopter of a library makerspace. Um, I applied for and received a matching grant from our local Preston Foundation. Uh, that's an organization who supports projects for the betterment of Phelps. We initially thought that if you build it, they will come, but they didn't um, because they have no idea what a makerspace was in 2013. So we began to develop a hands-on curriculum because we discovered that people want to have a time. They want to have a subject, a teacher, and something to take home. People want a direction. So the Phelps Library STEAM initiative was coined in 2017 and aims to foster professional skills and interest in STEAM careers beginning in preschool through seventh grade. That doesn't, that's not to say that it's not intergenerational because some of our STEAM programs have both a seven and a 77 year old in it. We want to have that intergenerational um, teaching because the way that a seven year old thinks is not the same way that a 77 year old thinks. So we're working to bridge our region's science, technology and trade skills gap by teaching advanced manufacturing classes to eight to 12 year olds to introduce K-12 students, as well as formal and informal educators to STEAM activities and careers, to unite over 500 inventors, manufacturers, and makers at our annual Finger Lakes Maker Fest, and to advance our local economy through community partnerships and education. So we've worked really hard at the Phelps Library because we believe so deeply in our small community of Phelps. Um, in 2017, we were awarded the Finger Lakes STEM Hubs STEM Innovation Award as a center for STEAM education, experimentation, creativity, and collaboration. We didn't intend to when we started in 2017, but our work has redefined the entire concept of small and rural libraries in our region. We work to pair our local industries with talented recruits and to help students find inspiring careers to stimulate our local economy and encourage community growth. So. It's not just local to our region, but talking specifically to manufacturers and industry leaders here, they're struggling to stay into business, not because of a lack of community need for their services, but rather because of a scarcity of job applicants with the skills to perform the job. Um, business owners here are waiting outside the doors of high schools and local BOCES programs for their most recent graduates. Many of the students have already been hired prior to their graduation ceremony. Our region, according to the, these interviews I've had with the business owners, they also struggle to find talented workers who can pass the mandatory drug screening. Um, we worked not only connect the skilled job seekers with these businesses in need, but we aim to inspire the younger students to pursue careers they're passionate about, to make them workforce ready. We're working to bring awareness that libraries are the centers for education, both inside and outside the walls of the library. I would say I spend about 50% inside and 50% outside just advocating for this to increase our role and partnerships in economic development and to ensure sustainable funding for the library. That is a, just absolutely mind-blowing and stunning. Um, again, because of the resources that you have, 
what you're able to do. Um, and it's now carrying over into, you know, talking about, you know, not, have you, not only have you started the, the STEAM initiative there, but you also hold the, uh, the FLX MakerFest. Um, yes. Yeah, so tell us how you're able to, to unite those 500 inventors, manufacturers, and makers into one fest. How'd you do that? <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, yeah. I have a lot I have several friends who are involved in um, other maker fairs. And so we sort of talk to each other and make the connections that way. We participate in each other's maker festivities to find them. But the Finger Lakes Maker Fest unites makers and manufacturers. It's a celebration of science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And the purpose is to bring awareness to the local businesses and community organizations who do innovative things. These include like starting recycling initiatives, building parts for the SpaceX program, creating with thermoplastics, collaborating with the geology department in um, the Hobart Williams Smith Colleges. We had the tornado chaser, the Doppler on wheels. It was amazing. The kids loved it. Uh, the college faculty, they shared information on environmental science and now half the kids in Phelps want to be meteorologists. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, we had a first robotics team who were, they were inspiring the younger students to create and build. And we had the high school tech teacher come. I asked him to teach electronic soldering just because, you know, I can't be in 12 places at once. And he found it so inspiring that he decided to add soldering back into the school curriculum. Wow. We had uh, local entrepreneurs teach block printing, jewelry making, see there was felting, there was so much more. One of the presenters at the MakerFest was the daughter of a local sustainable plastics company called Harbeck. And she was so inspired by the Phelps Library's passion for STEAM that she decided to actually change careers. She went back to grad school to pursue her degree in education. So now she's a teacher in Rochester. Um, not only do we hope to inspire people like this, we want to teach them new hands-on skills and tap into their innate creativity. I cannot believe the fear that people have toward being creative. You know, the, the, a, blank, a blank page is really scary for them. They don't know how to get started. Uh, this year for our MakerFest, which is May 4th, may the 4th be with you. Um, feel free to wear a costume. <laughs> um, <laughs> we want to really bring awareness to the technical skills gap that we have not only in our region, but nationwide. Last year, we made the event free of charge to participate and to attend because we want to remove any barriers and reach as many people as possible. So just a little plug, you can read more about it at phelpslibrary.org under the MakerFest tab. For anybody listening, that's phelpslibrary.org. <laughs> so um, tell us more about I know I have another question here, but I wanted to talk real quick about the fear of creating because you just mentioned that as you were talking. And mm -hmm. what do you think is a great icebreaker for the people that have that blank page in front of them and are so you know anxious and so afraid of starting anything, maybe a small project, big project, new? You know, I don't like to give instruction. Um, I'm not putting down the paint and sip parties, but if you go in, you don't learn anything about the type of paint that you're using or the names of the colors that you're using. If you are told, you know, you paint a circle here and you create something that looks the same as everybody else's in the room, can you go on to create your own artwork? So what we do is we tell people about 
how the material that you're using actually behave and why we choose the materials that we're using. And so when things don't work, we have a solution for them based on the types of materials that you employ. So that way, when people go home, they can recreate a, a, an entire process rather than a particular item. Mm. Um, and what one of our most, um, <laughs> the, one of the best programs that we've had was finger painting for adults. So there's no technology involved other than paint and paper. And they were able to just let loose and we close at eight o'clock and we couldn't get them out of the building until nine. I mean, they just <laughs> loved it so much. <laughs> That's great. That's a fantastic way of looking at it. I, I love the ideas. Well, I like um, the concept too, yeah. that, you know, like you said, you don't want to instruct and that's just light bulb just went off in my head. You know, like we were saying before we, we actually started recording, you know, you can teach somebody to teach to, to code Python, but at the end of the day, when they leave, are they really going to retain anything? And are, how does this fit to their practical life when we're talking about, you know, ring doorbells and, and, mm -hmm. and doing some of those other things where you teach them what each component does so then they can move forward and use that skill to do something else? Almost like um, like a makey-makey for adults. Right. So You know, it's like learning a language. You don't start out with conversational Spanish. You have to learn the alphabet and the numbers first before, mm -hmm. you know, so you can grow your skills. So if you know the basics, then you can apply it. Um, when people ask me, what kinds of things are you adding to the makerspace? Well, I'm really getting back to the hammers and the nails and the screwdrivers so that people can, you know, just start building um, rather than, you know, throwing something in that, that that's scary. Like TIG welding. But like TIG <laughs> welding. Yeah. Yes, exactly. TIG welding is only scary when it's done wrong. That's the only time yeah. it's scary. <laughs> When you get your tungsten stuck. Oh boy, does that happen more often? All, all, that's, that's anybody. That's anything in class. That's all anybody did was get their tungsten stuck, and then you have to either grind it down or get a new piece. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> um, so I'm I'm very interested in the next question. That what is the STEM Explorers program and how did it get its start? Because um, I have two kids that are right in that age group, so I, mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear about this. Oh, I love the STEM Explorers. They, these kids, they're so inspiring. So this is a program that's conducted in partnership with a local engineer, again, a volunteer. Um, and the STEM Explorers teaches hands-on skills to eight to 12-year-olds in the areas of things like mechanical and electrical engineering, drawing, measuring, assembly, lean and advanced manufacturing, and the basic use of hand tools. The program's for 8 to 12-year-olds because by the time our 12-year-olds reach the workforce in 2025, there are going to be 3 million jobs that go unfilled due to a lack of technical skills to perform the jobs. So we teach the curriculum once a month in six-month semesters. So we have eight kids in the program at a time, um, just so that's to keep them focused uh, and have individual attention. Um, so th we've done things like built and tested a V8 engine. We've explored an augmented reality sandbox. We go to local manufacturers where the students perform tests on optical equipment. And we learn about environmental science at our local Flint Creek, where they collected and identified aquatic insects to determine the health of the stream. And all of that data is entered into a regional database to aid scientists in their research. My absolute favorite class was last week, this past Saturday. Um, the students designed a whisper tube for our children's room. And if you don't know what a whisper tube is, it's where you whisper in one end and the sound travels through the tube um, so that the, the receiver can hear it. 
So first we learned about the history of speaking tubes over 100 years ago, 100 years ago in ships and large homes. Um, since we're going to make ours from PVC pipe, we learned about plastics manufacturing, from injection molding to extrusion, from vacuum forming to blow molds. Uh, then we talked about the environmental impact of plastics, you know, what happens to all the extra stuff when, it ha when it's being manufactured. The students then took clipboards and they went to the children's room to sketch a design and they had measuring tapes where they calculated the length of the PVC pipe that we'd need, how many elbows would be required for the design. And then they built their designs from drinking straws and tape and presented their design to the class, describing the unique features that they'd incorporated. I love to see the kids so inspired and excited about these projects. I heard one of the students say to his mom in the last class when the, she was mentioning coming back for another class, yes, I would do anything in the library. Mm -hmm. And this, this one girl, she, she took, she color coded her project. So for a 45 degree elbow, it was a red stripe straw. For a 90 degree elbow, it was a blue stripe straw. And I mean, these kids are eight to 12 year old. It, it's amazing the way that their minds work. That, that is just fascinating, fascinating to me because you're able to get the kids to be that engaged. What, what level, what, how, what's the class size for something like that? Um, it's eight or less. Okay. So then you have small enough groups so you can do really good instruction too, or not even instruction, exactly. guidance. And it, it really is however they want to learn. You know, we're all different types of learners. If they want to work by themselves, if they're more comfortable that way, fine. If they want to put themselves in their own groups, that's fine. It's, you know, however they're able to be most creative and feel more most comfortable in the classroom. That, that really is something else. So let's uh, switch gears for just a sec and talk about outreach. Because um, okay. outreach to the community, especially to the schools, like we were talking about before, um, is such a big part of libraries and what they're trying to attempt to do now. Because mm -hmm. like we were saying before off air, you know, libraries, most of them are created under the education department, under the education law. Um, so tell us how your STEM and STEAM programs, you know, what you do with them in conjunction with the local schools. Okay, this is probably the largest part of the STEAM initiative. So libraries and schools throughout the state regularly seek out the Phelps Library for advice on how to make a great impact with STEAM education, utilizing very few resources. You know, a lot of us, we don't have the staff, we don't have the time, we don't have the funds for this. So how do we do it with very few resources? Um, in the past year, there's been a significant amount of interest, particularly with a small rural libraries in turning craft programs into STEAM classes. And that goes right back to what we were talking about before in learning about the materials and, and how they work rather than, you know, just creating, uh, putting materials together. Um, so we've been asked to guide that transition. I've had the opportunity to talk with regional school principals um, at their meetings about innovative and future ready school libraries. That blew my mind that school principals asking me how, you know, what the future of a school <laughs> library is going to be. <laughs> um, to lead professional development days for teachers in two, two local school districts. Um, I've worked with school media specialists through BOCES in 25 school districts on how to set up maker spaces and incorporate STEAM into the curriculum. Um, I've been invited to work with high school students directly uh, that was to inform them about CTE pathways or career and technical skills. 
This past year, we have an amazing partnership with our Finger Lakes P-TECH program, um, where part of the student assessment takes place in our library's makerspace. So if you're not familiar with it, P-TECH is a program through BOCES where ninth through 12th graders, they attend high school while also earning an associate's degree. So the Finger Lakes program here is in computers and technology. And the students come uh, to the library to learn about things like virtual and augmented reality. They learn hands-on skills like carpentry, engineering design, forensics, and environmental science. So they come to the library for about two and a half hours a day, up to four times a week throughout the entire school year. So this is a huge program. And the fact that part of their assessment taking place in the library is amazing for the whole libraries or education part of it. Um, so we also pay very close attention to the needs in our community. So for example, the Phelps Library owns the only dissecting microscope in the entire school district. So we loan our equipment to the school so that students have the opportunity to have a well-rounded experience at school. In the seventh grade biology class, when they perform dissections, they don't have the equipment to study what's right in front of them. I once had a student <laughs> arrive at our library after school, right after dissection day, with a squid eyeball and spine shoved in his pocket <laughs> because <laughs> That's great. he wanted to see what they looked like under the microscope and he couldn't do it at school. So these are the kinds of needs that we really pay attention to, and we're more than willing to share our tools and technologies for the betterment of the community. So all in all, I've worked with about 60 school districts and 115 or so public libraries, and we've given makerspace tours for many local colleges and even the Strong National Museum of Play. Um, the training that they're seeking includes how to use and incorporate new technologies, how to set up the makerspace, how to take the traditional curriculum and incorporate STEAM, how to apply the next generation science standards, and how to nurture cross-sector community partnerships. But to do all this, I mean, we have to continually educate ourselves in the educational needs of the community so that we can develop a STEAM curriculum to offer in the makerspace, to design classes to offer to all ages, and to create these step-by-step -step projects appropriate to particular age groups that we teach both in and outside of the lab. We always have to stay informed and aware of what's going on in schools, whether it's in the classroom or at the state level when and how the school standards are changing and how school districts are interpreting those standards so that we can meet the educational levels of all the students or have critical conversations with administrators and legislators. All of this is so that we can be recognized as equal partners in education, honestly, to ensure the highest quality services and classes and equity and funding. But it's really been an honor to work with so many inspirational, formal and informal educators. So <clears throat> I just, I have a bone to pick, if I may, <laughs> um, get on my soapbox here. I also work with the school districts because there's often only one pathway to success, going to college. So high school seniors make and hang ban banners at school with their college mascot on them. So what do the kids who are going directly into the workforce do or who don't know what they want to put on their banners? How does this practice make them feel? and what papers are being sent home from school. You know, it's always the college prep to-do list. So let's talk about why I educate educators. Our culture in general and the ingrained perception of educational should and shouldn't. I often hear that success is defined by attaining an equal or greater, greater educational degree than the previous generation. Would you say that's true for your region as well? Absolutely, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, this is not a local thought pattern, it's national. We push as many 
um, high school kids as we can to go to college. And much of it has to do with the culture. So how do we keep up with the Joneses rather than paying attention to the needs of the community? How we feel will be judged if our children don't go to college or if they only go to vocational school. So for so many, especially parents, there isn't any other option. We don't see how successful our kids can be if we continue to automatically conform to these archaic way of, ways of thinking. So, however, let me tell you about one, two, seven. So one plus two plus seven equals 10, right? So out of every 10 jobs available, one requires a master's or higher, two requires a bachelor's, and seven require technical skills. So that means that only 30% of the jobs out there require a bachelor's degree or higher, yet according to our New York State Education Department, we're sending 82.7% of our graduating high school seniors to degree-granting institutions. What happens when they graduate from college and they're drowning in debt in a saturated job market where only 30% of the jobs require the degree that they have? We're setting our kids up for financial, emotional, and mental stress before they've even reached adulthood. So we have to show our students that they can find success in other ways. And technical skills jobs where education is paid for by employers is one of those pathways. For instance, have you heard of the Corning Technician Pipeline Program? I have, yeah. You have? Mm -hmm. Excellent. That's great. So Corning, the glass company, they pay students $25,000 a year while they go to a two-year program at a community college with full tuition, books, fees, all covered by Corning. And then the students have job placement at the end of the program. How do you say no to that? Mm -hmm. The problem is the schools don't know about these opportunities, and therefore they don't make the students aware of them. So when I go in and I do these professional development days, I try to connect them to all of these programs that are out there and available to students. We wanna make sure that the students are fully aware of all of their options so that they can make informed decisions about their future. I think Leah is like the library version of Mike Rowe. That's basically what oh, I do. Oh, I would love <laughs> to meet Mike Rowe. <laughs> you, are the, you are library's Mike Rowe. That's what I'm saying right now, going on. That it's is the greatest title I've ever been given. I'm great compliment. <laughs> so I'm the library's micro. And uh, what you're so, saying makes yep. a, it makes a yeah. lot of it makes a lot of sense because you it know, sure like does, I man. know here down down in our region, down on Long Island, we have a a, a plumbing crisis right now where we don't have enough mm -hmm. plumbers. Uh, same thing with electricians. You know, it's it's so hard to get a plumber and electrician to to come to your house, especially. Oh no, my pipes are frozen. Now what do I do? Well. We'll see you in three weeks, if you're lucky. Yeah. You know, it, right, it's, exactly. It's, and that's I've, from the studies that I've read, people aren't going to realize that there's an economic crisis until they need that plumber, they need that electrician, and they can't find it. And that's when things are finally going to start changing. Well, you know, and it's funny. It's one thing that uh, I have this discussion with my dad all the time because you talk about that mindset, right? So mm -hmm. he was a high school educated only. He was a New York City cop. You have to do better than me. You have to do better than me. You have to go and you have to do this. And he pushed me to go to law school. It didn't work out. And I still to this day, as, as happy as I am in my career and the things that we do, I still have to constantly remind him I'm doing better now than if I would have been successful in law school. Mm -hmm. You know, he just there's this mindset that's out there that, you know, you're, you're judged by the level of the amount of pieces of paper you can hang on your wall. Exactly. When at the end of the day, if you're working and, and like what you do and you're doing hard work and you're doing work that's necessary for the community and you're making an honest living and you're being successful, 
there's no harm and there's no shame in that. And unfortunately, there's this stigma that's put on people who are in the trades that, oh, well, they must not have done well in school, so now that's what they're doing. When that's not the case at all. I know I have a friend that's a, yeah. as a plumber. He's a very, very smart guy. And when he put the, the hot water heater and, and burner in my house, I could not believe it was like watching an artist because he knew what mm -hmm. he was doing. He knew how to do it. And he would not accept anything but doing it the right way. And that just said to me, that was the, 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 the bell for me that said, this guy figured it out. I bet you he could have went to college, but he chose not to. He chose to do this. And you know what? He loves what he does. And it's, it, it is amazing to see somebody, have that, see somebody have that passion. And that's what we're trying to do, particularly with the STEM Explorers program, is to help these kids realize what they love to do. If they want to gravitate towards the digital aspects of the STEM Explorers, then we'll provide more digital uh, opportunities for them. If they're interested in the more mechanical, we'll provide more mechanical. So it's really listening to each and every individual. I think it's fantastic. I mean, the numbers are mind blowing just to think about um, what you're doing and who you're serving and how many of the folks that you're serving. Um, so what Phelps is doing is groundbreaking and groundbreaking is capitalized, italicized, underlined and bold. Uh, and, <laughs> so, and, and, uh, and you consult both within your system, Pioneer, as well as other library systems. Is that right? That's right. Yes, I'm very fortunate to be able to work with not only Pioneer Library System, but also some library systems around the state and in May around the country, which blows my mind. Um, last summer, I was hired by Pioneer Library System to conduct STEAM camps for seven school districts in a neighboring county as a way to build partnerships between schools and libraries. Um, I've also worked with the Mid-York Library System and the Clinton-Essex-Franklin Library System on steaming up library programs. So libraries who work with me, they learn how to provide opportunities for students of all ages to develop skills in communication, creativity, problem solving, critical thinking and analysis, all while instilling transferable skills and delving into basic scientific concepts. Um, I was recently contacted by the IFLS library system in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, who is going to be bringing me out in May to train their libraries in STEAM programming and cross-sector community partnerships. I presented this same topic last September in Illinois at the Association of Rural and Small Libraries Conference. And I met so many amazing people from these rural and small libraries. I found that we're all facing similar issues and needs throughout the country. And I'm thrilled to be able to work with the other library systems to meet all those needs. That, that's absolutely mind blowing. Um, so tell us about uh, the Phelps STEAM scholarship. You even have a scholarship. Mm -hmm. Tell us about, you know, how did this come about? Who can receive it? And because it isn't, it, it's it's not a traditional four-year college thing like we were talking about before. Um, so tell us who this scholarship benefits. Yep. Um, so a lot of the scholarships that are given out on the eve of uh, evening of high school graduation are people who are going to college, um, and we wanted to change that. So one of our library's challenges is getting the community to know that we exist. We talked about that a little earlier. Um, a library in Wisconsin has heard of us, but people who live a block and a half away have no idea that there's a library in Phelps. What can we do to change that? So a year ago, while my board and I were discussing ways to make the library more visible, I thought 
why not take our mission to bridge technical skills and merge it with a new way to market the library by facilitating a STEAM scholarship? Obviously, you can't use operating funds for that. So it became, uh, the Phelps Library STEAM scholarship became a $1,000 award collected solely through targeted donations from the community and given to a graduating high school senior who demonstrates curiosity, innovation, and creativity to empower them to pursue certification or some form of education. The successful recipient doesn't have to attend a four-year college as many scholarships dictate because not all students thrive in that form of education. Rather, the intention of the scholarship is for those students who want to attend technical school or certification in a STEAM career or some sort of apprenticeship. So my library board fully supported it and even handed me $50 a, as a donation to get the scholarship started. So we also had a donation jar at the Finger Lakes Maker Fest explaining what the scholarship was for. The community response was so overwhelming that the library collected well over the needed thousand dollars and has a healthy start for the 2019 scholarship. It's just, it's created brilliant conversations with parents whose children aren't thriving in the traditional foreign language regions track and they enthusiastically and monetarily support the STEAM initiative. A local family even started their own marketing campaign among 34 family members to support the STEAM initiative in memory of their grandmother. In June of last year, the library was asked by the community to set up a webpage specifically for monetary donations toward the STEAM programs and the STEAM scholarship. So we collected the money and I was able to present the scholarship in front of over 300 people at our local high school graduation. Um, I explained uh, to a captive audience who and what the Phelps Library was and why we do what we do. So not only does the scholarship support students, but the presentation of it advocates for regional STEAM careers and promotes the library as a center of education as well. So at the Phelps Library, we have to continually ask ourselves, how do we as educators empower community success through collaborative STEAM education to help students of all ages achieve their personal and professional goals and discover their passion? So by taking the creative action with a STEAM initiative, we strive to nurture each and every individual within our community to make, create, and innovate. Uh, it's a goal of fostering future STEAM careers to provide the time, the space, the resources for making and makerspace activities. So it's a way to consistently connect to get others in the community involved from parents to manufacturers to community organizations. So we're transforming traditional hands-on activities into the STEAM curriculum in ways that students will feel the freedom to, th to thrive. Um, we explore tangible and unique ways to integrate making into traditional educational settings to cultivate the STEAM innovators of the future. And the scholarship is one way to help them do that. And that's a great leg up for, for kids who may not be able to afford to go to technical school. It may be something that can help them further to get to that to that apprenticeship or, or, you know, to become a journeyman. So it really does exactly. make a difference. Yeah. And there's, there's so much competition now for things like the Corning Technician Pipeline Program. So it's a way to reach the people right in our community. And, and that makes a big difference in a rural library and rural community because you're giving back mm -hmm, to that community. 100%. Yeah. Well, I have to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to speak with us because we are doing this in the middle of the work day. And, um, <laughs> With all that stuff that you're doing, I can't imagine you took an hour out of your time to speak to us. Ah, um, uh, this is what I love to do. It's awesome. So this is just <clears throat> blow, it's blown my doors off. What about you, Bob? 
Oh, it's fantastic. No, I'm just going through the numbers in my head. It's fantastic. Yeah, and I'm inspired. To, now I have all these ideas going off in my head. Look out, everybody. You slow, you slow down. You've got enough going on. With <laughs> yeah. you, let, me, let me catch up. Let yeah, I've, got, up I've actually got a, a makerspace meeting uh, in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to be bringing up a whole bunch of different ideas now. So Very cool. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to be asking Leah our top 10 library questions, or the, what we like to call the 032 list, which is the Dewey number for top 10 lists, and we always have to give credit to our friend Melanie Cardone from the Longwood Public Library for naming the list of questions that we ask all our guests. So we will be right back. Back? We're back. We're back with Leah Hamilton, who will be our next participant in our 032 list. The questions in our list were inspired by Literary Hub, an informative library-related news site that has stories and interviews related to library land. You can see their work by visiting lithub.com without the HTTP slash and all that business. So visit their <laughs> site because they educate and inform the library world on great topics from all over the world. Thank you, Literary Hub. Okay, so remember... Uh -oh. um, we, we're not going to hold you to the answers, but it's a fun list we like to ask everybody. So you ready? Uh, yeah, let's do this. Okay. So what did you want to be when you were a child? Wonder Woman. Straight out of the DC comic books that I couldn't get enough of as a kid. And if that didn't work out, a doctor who specialized in earthworms. Brilliant. That's cool. That, that's <laughs> like the original, like, OG Wonder Woman, right? That's the... <laughs> that's yeah. Oh, yeah. Linda that's Carter, kind of. Yeah, Linda Carter, Carter yeah. Uh, DC comic books. Wonder Woman. I liked how you had to say that specifically. That's perfect. That's great. Um, and you became Wonder Woman, Leah. So this way, you know. Oh, that's well, thank you. <laughs> so uh, at least, at least in library land, right? You're definitely one. So, um, what is your first memory of a library, and who brought you to the library for the first time? I remember my local public library, particularly the nonfiction section. Um, I couldn't get enough of books about animals. I seem to recall my grandmother taking me, but don't hold me to that. Um, we haven't discussed my age. The library director who was there when I was a small child, she's still the director today. Wow. <laughs> so let's just say it's been a few years. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that was funny. When did you decide to work in a library? And if, if it wasn't your first choice or career path, uh, what was your first career path? Because many librarians choose it as a second career. Was it oh, was it first, a welder? My uh, no, that that was just a side job. That was just a hobby. <laughs> um, no, my dad actually did want me to take over the business, but it just didn't feel right to me. Um, I started out with a hot mess of studying international finance. Um, I crashed and burned. <laughs> it didn't go so well. Um, so after that first semester, I headed toward a a degree in illuminated manuscripts, very useful in today's world. Um, and <laughs> libraries actually chose me back then. It was my only job option in book conservation. It happened to be in a library. And from that moment on, I choose libraries wholeheartedly. So uh, who is your favorite fictional librarian? 
I would have to say that it's Evelyn Carnahan O'Connell in the mu the Mummy. I love how she's clumsy and sassy, creative, smart, and tenacious. I I definitely want to have adventures like hers. I don't think we've had that one, Chris. We may have one. I think I have remember we somebody have... brought it bringing up the Mummy at one point. Like like one of the earlier episodes, maybe. Probably, yeah. <laughs> That's okay though. It, it's it's such a narrow scope anyway. So yeah. So what would you be doing if you weren't working in a library? I would definitely be jumping fences and ignoring warning signs as a travel photojournalist somewhere out there in the world. Wow. I didn't see that one coming. I didn't know. I didn't see that one coming <laughs> a welding photojournalist. I guess. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. There are pictures of me standing on the cliffs of Moore looking over the edge in a very uh, <laughs> dangerous way. Wow. All right. So what is your favorite section of the library? I don't think this will come as any surprise to you. It has to be our makerspace because that's where I see people of all ages discover what their innate passions and talents are. Makes sense. Okay, so if you had infinite space and budget, what would you add to your library? How much time do you have today? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're suspending reality for a moment, right? Sure. Um, so first I want to quadruple my staff. I want to have my own building out on Main Street and I want a library cat, please. But what I really want to have is an interactive mixed reality room where anyone can try out different jobs and new skills before they get a degree in it, where they can learn coping mechanisms and life skills and be immersed in other cultures from around the world, all without leaving felt. Um, and it's free. I basically want the holodeck for my community. Uh, I want to expand minds, interests, ideas to reduce fear and intolerance. The good news is though, I don't think that, you know, with the technology that we have today, that we're too far away from making that a reality. At our library now, we're working on offering virtual and augmented reality technologies to learn about things like the human anatomy. Um, we just got this, uh, this, these t-shirts where you can swipe through and look at the different human systems. Um, we teach technical skills like welding through VR to hone public speaking skills and to practice job interview strategies. So I think we can actually make this one happen. That's great. So what do you what would you say you love about your library? I had to give this one a lot of thought. Um, I love that we provide a multi-dimensional experience and that's personalized for everyone who walks through the door. We're still a small enough library that we can do that. You want to learn how to weld? We can make it happen. You're a kinesthetic learner? Let's tweak the lesson plan for you. You need a dissecting microscope for your classes? Borrow ours. Hmm. So we have this saying in our library that it's all about the process. So, you know, we're not tied to the end product, but we want to know what's happened as, during the learning process. We're going to provide the tools so that you can design your best solution. I'm just speechless after every answer. I don't know what to say anymore. <laughs> so remembering that we don't have an explicit rating uh, on iTunes, what is mm -hmm. the weirdest thing that's ever happened in your library? Not necessarily okay. the worst thing, but, you know, something that's been, it's, you know, the weirdest. There are so many weird things that happen that it's almost our normal. So um, I would have to say that 
a reporter from a local newspaper happened to walk into the library at exactly the same moment that we happened to have a group of educators from the country of Belarus visiting our library to learn more about our STEAM initiative, which happened to result in a full-color front-page newspaper article on the big efforts of a small library. So things like people from Belarus, that just doesn't normally happen in a small town like ours. And the fact that a reporter walked in on it was beautiful. The divine intervention, that's what we call that's it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so who would you say is your favorite regular, quote-unquote, regular patron? Uh, that would have to be Carl. Carl is a former Navy man who is highly interested in the minute details and intricacies of World War II. He also speaks German to our library guinea pigs. And he gets really... <laughs> really flustered when he sees us out in the real world like if he runs into us at you know, Wegmans or the gas station and he says no you can't be here <laughs> you know what I love Chris I love that that Leah had like a name like an actual patron most oh, of yeah. our guests are like oh well it's that you know that guy the family the person but no you you knew exactly like, oh yeah who. that's fantastic it's and his name was Carl <laughs> his name was Carl like our like our, uh, like our announcer our announcer's name is Carl oh that's great it's funny. So our final question, what mm -hmm. are people without library cards missing out on? Well, they're missing out on the ability to take home books and movies and items from our library of things, but they're not missing out on the library STEAM initiative. To use the makerspace in, a in its technologies, we don't require a, a library card, and they don't even need to live in Phelps. Anybody can come and use it at any time. It's free. So we try to remove as many barriers as possible. That is incredible. So um, we have to thank you so much for being a good sport and listening and answering our, <laughs> our list of silly little list of questions. Um, oh, it's a true pleasure. But this this has been an amazing experience. I hope everyone is who listens to this is inspired as Bob and I are now. Um, Fantastic. So give us some plugs. What would you like to plug? I definitely want to plug phelpslibrary.org. Uh, the Finger Lakes Maker Fest, as well as the STEAM Initiative. Excellent. Follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Very, very cool. Okay, so, Bob, you have anything else? Because I'm blown away. I'm speechless. No, I'm like, I'm like, you know, the golden buzzer on, uh, what's that show? Oh, yeah, America's Got, America's Talent. got Talent or something like that. Library's Got Talent, I'm, boom. I'm, hit, I'm hitting the golden <laughs> buzzer. This is my favorite, <laughs> my new favorite guest out of 58 episodes. Oh, Absolutely. thank you. Please come for a visit. Uh, we will. You know what? We're uh, we're definitely looking for places to go. Chris, we got to take a road trip. Yeah, oh, yeah. May fourth. Come come and participate in the Maker Fest. Chris, we have a budget for that. <laughs> I don't know what we have a budget for anymore. Make, make up a budget <laughs> for that. Talk to your wife. I'll talk to mine. Make a budget. Let's go. <laughs> I love it, and I, and we're gonna take you up on that. We're gonna come up and say hello. That Great. would be awesome. Are, are we really downstaters? Do you really refer to us? Yeah. As what do you call us? Those people. Yeah, over there. Those damn tourists who come and <laughs> you know use what they, our stuff and leave. You know, what the, you know what they call us up there? The people that aren't doing the cool stuff like we are, people. That's Oh, uh, no, we're all doing cool <laughs> stuff together. Okay. <laughs> cool. Holy cow. Okay, so that's all the time we actually have for this episode. I can't believe it's over because this was really, really amazing. Thank you again, Leah, for coming on. Thank you for having me. So if you have any questions or comments on our show, visit the contact us section of our website, thelibrarypros.com. We'll also have links and photos from this episode on our website and every episode on our website. So visit us at, at the Library Pros on Twitter and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't 
forget to tell a friend because word of mouth is how people uh, learn about us and how our listenership grows. So remember, the opinions um, stated by the library president are necessarily those of Chris and Bob and not those of the Sage of Public Library, MS Clark Memorial Library, or any other library. So we will see you next time. You've been listening to the Library Pros Podcast. The Library Pros are brought to you by Pippet Productions and by the Library Pros themselves, Krista Christofaro and Bob Johnson. Special thanks to Sachin Public Library for providing space for this podcast. Until the next turn of the page, I'm your announcer, Carlton Welch. <laughs>